you, worship team. You may be seated, and children, you are now dismissed to your service. Well, it is, again, so good to be in the house of the Lord together with you as family. Whether you're online or here in person, we are gathering under the name of Christ, and that is a blessing. Let us pray as we uh, give this rest of the service to the Lord, as we worship Him through hearing of the Word. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We thank you for what you have done, what you are currently doing and will do in our lives. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will fall fresh upon us this morning. That as we open up your living, breathing word, that we will not just have a moment of information, but a time of transformation. As your word brings conviction, challenge, encouragement, and love, we pray that we will hear and see those today. Be with us now in your name. Amen. Amen. We are starting a new two-week series, which still is in the framework of our series on 1 Corinthians. But there are certain themes that pop up that I think are important to highlight. And this one, we are looking at satisfaction in a dissatisfying world. Satisfaction in a dissatisfying world. This message is very personal to me, and there are going to be personal messages or uh, illustrations that I will give to kind of highlight how the Lord has been working this into my life for several years. Uh, a couple years ago, some of the uh, exegesis of this passage we did during Thanksgiving because you will see very quickly that there is an important aspect of giving thanks within this passage. Well, when I was younger and I was about 24, 25 years old, I wrote my first book. It was self-published and, uh, you know, I got a self-publishing contract, which, by the way, if you try to sign up for a self-publishing contract, if you have enough money, they'll say yes to you. I thought I was way cooler than that. Uh, and I was super excited about writing the first book. And I had this sense of, wow, I have arrived. I'm a 25-year-old and I wrote a book. All right. Well, the book didn't sell very well. In fact, most of the copies were bought by my family. <laughs> And, and because I was looking at the sales on a regular basis, I became depressed. I had put all my thought of who I am and what I'm about, and man, this is going to be the greatest thing ever, and uh, man, this, I'm going to start speaking everywhere. I'm going to be the next, you know, Max Lucado. <laughs> that wasn't true. It will never be true. But the reality is, is I allowed my hope in what I thought would satisfy me to fuel my life and my identity. So when my expectation was not met, I became dissatisfied. I became depressed. I became frustrated and probably a little bit more grumpy with my family, my wife and my kids, because I was walking in this space of dissatisfaction. And I want to say this, we seek satisfaction out of people, places, or things that can never fully satisfy. I was trying to put my satisfaction of life, my identity, my thought of ministry 
into a best-selling book. I rarely talk about that book anymore because it really wasn't that good. But I thought it was. But I was dissatisfied because I had put all of my desire of satisfaction into this book. You see, we do this all the time. In, in our world, our world, our culture, people around us do this all of the time. We try to put uh, you know, these places or these people or these things at this high level of bringing us satisfaction. That if we could just get that promotion, if we could just get that job, if I could just get that car, if I could just have this spouse, if I could just change my spouse, I'll be satisfied. If my children would obey me every minute of every day, satisfaction, Lord. Right? But all of those things will disappoint us. <laughs> our children, our spouse, our car, our job, our bank account. Eventually, we're going to look at those things where we put all of our hope and be dissatisfied with them in some aspect if we have put them in the wrong space. We scrape and strive to earn our way to satisfaction. But in the end, we're left empty. See, the, the common theme of our Western society is a dissatisfaction, an emptiness, a disappointment. If you talk with many people, they may seem okay on the outside. But if you talk with them you'll find that somewhere in their heart is a longing for something better, a longing for something more. And maybe even in your own heart, as you're thinking about this idea of satisfaction or dissatisfaction, there are things in your life that have created disappointment and depression, and they've been completely dissatisfying to your life. Paul, I believe, addresses this issue. Now, we're only going to be looking at two verses. And I remember when Doug McCulley, when he was here at the church, many of you may or may not know him, but he's now a pastor at Martindale Alliance. He was an elder within us and a great man. He came up to me one day and was like, how in the world can you develop a sermon on two verses? That's crazy. Sometimes it is a little bit crazy, but when we sit with a passage of Scripture, when we really ask the Holy Spirit to speak through this passage, we're going to get a whole lot of stuff that we didn't anticipate. And as I sit with this passage, while I was reading it several years ago, verse 7 crushed my heart. And it caused me to pause and think, am I satisfied with life? Am I disappointed? And that's exactly what this passage answers for us, and we're going to continue this series. Pastor Mike will continue it next week, 7 through 20, but today we're going to, or 8 through 20, but today we're going to focus on 6 through 7. So how can we live satisfied in a dissatisfying world? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? 
If then you received it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? The word of the Lord. In the beginning, in chapter 6, we see Paul setting up the people for what he just previously talked about. Pastor Mike did a great job about speaking of leadership servanthood, about how we are to judge others and how we are to react when others judge us and what that looks like. And a lot of it deals with service and love and patience because people are frustrated. And here Paul says, Apollos and I, we have demonstrated this type of love and service to you. We have properly given you an example to follow because we are following Christ's example. And so he kind of wraps up what he had just said to them in verse 6, explaining that they have done that. But then in verse 7, he shifts the focus a little bit. It almost seems like verse 6 should have been attached to verse 5. But he flows into this idea of example, where we have an example of what we just talked about, and we are an example of what I'm going to mention to you. And he opens up this idea of gifting and what God has done. Being satisfied is something the Corinthian church really struggled with. Consistently, as we dig into this church, we will exegete the problems that they had. We'll pull out what Scripture says about this church's issue, and a ton of it came from a sense of dissatisfaction. They were disappointed. They were frustrated that they didn't have XYZ gifts. They were frustrated that Paul didn't mentor them or Apollos didn't mentor them. And so they utilized their disappointment to bring about boasting and arrogance. Their arrogance came from a place of disappointment. It came from a place of dissatisfaction. And here Paul begins to point at this very issue. How can we live satisfied in a dissatisfying world? And the very first thing that Paul gives to them is this. Satisfaction is found in seeing everything, and that's italicized, everything as a gift. Everything as a gift. I love his questions. He says, for who sees anything different in you? Why aren't you living like we are with this service and love and passion? What do you have that you did not receive? He answers that question in the question. You're not seeing everything as a gift. And that's why you're not living the way I'm challenging you to live. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? Marion Sword says this of this passage, The form of these inquiries is similar to that of the diatribe, a philosophical form of reasoning that uses imaginative irony in a dialogue to undermine the position that is being criticized. The position that he is criticizing is their arrogant boasting. They're living in this space of dissatisfaction because they think that these things will satisfy. The Corinthian church, although there were some good things happening, they were really, truly at the core of their heart, dissatisfied with their lives. If that's not the American church, I don't know what is. I think we have this belief that people, places, and things will bring about satisfaction. We put all of our hope in many different things. Some of them are silly things. 
Some of them are seemingly important things. But our satisfaction cannot be placed in any person, place, or thing. When we see everything as a gift, man, it is uh, one of the best places for you to find satisfaction. They seem to have this sense that they had arrived. One of the things that the Corinthian church did is they constantly said how good they were. They were comparing one another and saying, I'm better than you. Or on this side, they were saying, I'm better than you. If you've ever read the book of the Sneetches by the wonderful Dr. Seuss, that's exactly what was happening. And if you've never read the book of Sneetches or watched the show, go YouTube it and just type in the Sneetches and watch how they're just like the Corinthians. They were like, I'm better, you're better, I'm better. And they tried to change their whole lives to be like one another. This was the core of the issue happening in the church. They thought that they were great, but at their core, they were dissatisfied. And they were missing one key aspect of their faith. In this dissatisfaction, in this boasting of putting themselves above one another, they were missing the key ingredient of God's grace. Because we are saved by God's saving grace. And everything in our life is a gift. Everything in our life is a gift. When we can see that everything we have in our life is a gift, we can sense the goodness of God. We can feel the goodness and greatness of His grace. God has lavished us with grace. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have experienced a grace that is absolutely undescribable. But yet we forget about this grace. We do not extend the same grace that Christ extended to others that he gave to us. Man, if we would be people marked by the grace of Christ, it would change the world. Because grace is not a normative human response. We want to rebel against that. We want to have retribution. We want to get what we deserve back from that person. We want to stab them the way they stabbed us. And, you know, Jesus said, well, the way the world is, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, I say, that's wrong. In fact, it's absolutely antithetical to the Scripture. It's antithetical to who Christ has made you. It's antithetical to how we are called to live. He says when someone takes something, give them something more. Jesus, you're crazy. Now, you know, we can say, oh, that was just a rhetorical, metaphorical image that Jesus was giving. He didn't really mean that. Oh, yes, he did. Jesus didn't say anything he didn't mean. He would ask questions and have parables. But my goodness, if we look at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and we look at our own lives, we are not living the kingdom life that he's called us to. And it is because of grace that we've been saved and grace that we are to extend to others. It's only by grace that we can give our jacket after someone has stolen something else from us. Only then, through grace, living as gracious people. 
When we glimpse everything as a gift, God's grace becomes more tangible. God's grace becomes more tangible. One of the things I'm convinced of as I've been reading this passage and and looking at culture and looking at the church, the majority, if not all, of disappointment in our lives comes from not getting what we want. If you're living disappointed, it's because you feel as if you're not getting what you deserve or what you want. Just look at our children, right? When they don't get that that soda that they want, or they don't get that Xbox or that, that game, or they don't get that shirt or their hat or the shoes that they want, they walk around, my parents hate me. Dad, you don't even love me anymore. Right? Now, here's the deal. We are the same. You can't just look at a kid and be like, wow, I'm really immature. You should look in the mirror and say, I'm a child. Because we walk around and say, oh, God, why didn't you give that to me? I'm not going to pray for 10 days. Right, don't we? I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous, but that is the, the posture of our hearts because our, we're disappointed that we didn't get what we wanted. But when we glimpse everything as a gift, God's grace is tangible because we can stop and say, thank you for what we have. We can glimpse everything in this aspect of a gift and it transforms our lives. This is all grace. You in this room, breathing, getting up in the morning, walking is all God's grace. Now, often in the Western world, when we have pain in our lives, we look at God and say, I'm I'm getting all this pain that I didn't deserve. I deserve no pain. I deserve unicorns and rainbows. Do you see everything I've done for you? And that's how we react to God, and we are frustrated with our pain. But guess what? Here's something that you don't hear in many American churches. Ready? Perk up your ears. Pain is promised by God. It's promised. He said, you will have many trials. He didn't say, you might have many trials. He said, let me promise you something, that you will have trials in life. There will be pain, because we live in a broken world that does not know Jesus. We live in a world that was broken by sin. Our own sin breaks our own lives apart. We will have pain. We will have pain. But he is with us in the pain. He doesn't just allow us to have this painful time and say, oh, I'll see you until everything gets better. He says, listen, you'll have pain, but turn to me in the midst of it. Let me walk with you in your pain. Be grateful for the things that you have despite your pain. We focus so much on what we don't have. I say this often because Patty is a wonderful lady from Pittsburgh at ACAC. She said, if you ain't grateful, you grumpy. Isn't that the truth? When we're not walking in gratitude or seeing everything as a gift, we get grumpy. Our hearts get grumpy. We get frustrated. Thanksgiving beats grumpiness every time. When we see everything as a gift, we can't help but thank Him. 
I want to give you a, a quick picture of something to help this become applicable. And I'm going to try and apply with different illustrations for you. Because if I say, hey, you need to see everything as a gift, and I give you no ways on how to do that, then, uh, then you're going to walk away with information and not transformation. There, imagine that someone in your family who is super wealthy, and, you know, you try everything to love them, and you encourage them, and you serve them, and they give you this car, like the greatest car that you ever wanted, like a, the top-line Tesla, and they bring it to your house, and, and you look at them, and you say, wow, you gave me a car I didn't deserve. Even though I was with you and encouraging you, I don't deserve this Tesla. Now, flip the script a little bit. Say because you love them and serve them and are always there, and they bring you this Tesla, you're like, well, it's about time. You're so wealthy, why didn't you get this from me before? I've been asking and asking, even asking Jesus for this car. It took forever. And, uh, excuse me, I want blue, not red. Do you see the difference? There's a, there's a gratitude. I'm not saying anyone's going to get a Tesla. And even if you pray for it, I'm not saying that's going to happen because that's a false gospel, you know what I'm saying? But the reality is that we have an opportunity to be grateful, seeing everything as a gift. How often do we get frustrated that we didn't get the blue Tesla? So often. Because we don't see things as a gift. Seeing things as a gift changes our perspective. It changes the way we see everything. When we thank God and say, everything I have is a gift, it changes how we see everything. It changes how we see our spouse. It changes how we see our job. It changes how we see our classes. It changes how we see our kids. It changes how we see our parents. It changes every single thing, right? Because sometimes we might be like, God, why would you give me this kid? He's so disobedient. And then you're going to be grumpy with that child. You're going to see that child in a different light. But if you say, God, woo, I'm getting frustrated, but thank you for this child. It's going to change how you treat your child. You might say the same thing about your spouse or your job or whatever it is. And because you're not getting what you want from those people or from those jobs, you become disappointed in them, in your job, whatever it might be. But when we change our perspective by seeing everything as a gift, everything looks different. For example, children, you might get socks for Christmas. Okay? How many of you guys have ever gotten socks for Christmas? Right? I, sometimes when I opened socks for Christmas when I was younger, I was like, hmm. Now I'm like, thank you, Jesus, I got socks. I don't need anything but socks right now. Now, children, let me just say, for, for example, you get socks for Christmas. And you're like, ah, ah, ah. Change your perspective as a gift, and you say, God, you gave me feet so I can wear socks. Hallelujah. That would change your perspective. You wouldn't be grumpy. You wouldn't be disappointed. You wouldn't be frustrated. You'd be like, Mom, thanks for clothing my, so my feet with socks. Now, parents, could you imagine that response? You'd be like, I'll get you the Xbox, son. That was great. Not really, children. But the reality is we can be thankful, and it changes our entire perspective. We tend to focus on what we don't have more so than what we actually have. And here Paul is trying to shift their focus from themselves and from their dissatisfaction and from their frustration because they're not getting everything that they want. And he's saying, what have you got that you did not 
receive. What do you have that you didn't receive? God's grace is given, has given you everything you have. Whether you're a believer or not, you woke up this morning, God's grace. You went to work yesterday, God's grace. You sat in, a, in the rainstorm while you were watching your child play soccer, God's grace. Because your kid is alive and able to play soccer. Everything is a gift. Everything in life is a gift. Now, I personally have experienced this frustration in my own life. I do have a very, a very wealthy family member who won the lottery a year after I was born. Millions of dollars. And it used to frustrate me as a teenager that they would give me nothing. I'd get a $5 check for my birthday. I was like, why isn't this $5,000? You got stuff. And I would be frustrated and grumpy. And it changed into bitterness towards this person and resentment and hatred. But while the Lord brings scriptures to mind, it changes our perspective. Thank you that this person is still alive when others in my family have passed away. See, see how that changes? How we see life? Now, the other aspect of this idea of what we have received, who is the one who gave it to us? The giver. The Lord himself. And so when we shift focus and see everything as a gift, it will change our focus to the person who has given us those gifts. The giver gives not because we've earned it, but simply because he loves us. You know, you did not earn to wake up this morning. How could you earn something like that? You did not earn the feet that you have to wear socks. How could you earn something like that? You do not deserve the kids or the spouse that you have. Man, that's awesome. If you could change your perspective of the person that you love, your children, your family, and say, God, they're a gift. Even when you're in an argument with your spouse, right? And be like, God, thank you that I have a wife. God, thank you that I have a husband who usually does really good things. Usually. But we give focus to the giver for what he has given. And he gives not because we've earned it, but because he loves us. Imagine that change in perspective. Imagine what that would do for your relationships. Imagine what that will do for your heart. I'm telling you, it changes everything. It changes everything. Even when you're in traffic and someone cuts you off. You know, there's this sense of righteous anger that comes up within you. Imagine, imagine this, right? This is going to be really hard in the moment, but here's the deal. You're driving and someone cuts you off, and you can say, thank you, God, that I still drive. Or they cut you off, and you're like, thank you, God, that I am not in a rush. Man, you can even say when it's a close call, thank you, God, I did not get in a car accident. And that's God's grace. I know that sounds silly, that sounds trite, that sounds immature, but oh man, if you do that while you're driving, rather than sinning in your anger, you know what I'm saying? You'll walk graciously in life. This is the change of perspective, offering grace. You could even say, Lord, I have no idea what's going on in that person's life, but if something bad's happening, I pray for them. Because they might be rushing to the hospital to see someone who's dying. 
They might be rushing to the hospital because their wife is about to have a baby. You don't know. See, it changes our perspective. And the more we get to know the giver, the more we can grasp that all is a gift. When we spend time with the Lord and we really, really reflect on every gift He has given us, rather than focusing on the things that He didn't give us that we wanted and the disappointment that comes with there, we shift our focus and we spend time with the giver and we see the gifts that He has given us. The more we come to Him and are closer with Him in intimate relationship, the more we will see everything as a gift. Everything. Spend time with the giver. He wants to spend time with you. He longs to have a personal, rich, real relationship with you. Not where we just pray and say, God, give me this. God, give me that. This is what I want. Oh, I'm disappointed. I'm so angry. But if you spend time with him in his word, allowing the spirit of God to speak deeply to your heart and to your life, and the more you soak in him, your gratitude will continue to grow. And you'll be able to see that God has really given you more than you've even ever asked for. And you write those gifts down. Take a journal and write down the things that God has given you. I mean, you could probably write for hours. And all of a sudden, when you're done writing that journal, you're going to look at your spouse and say, man, I love you. Man, I love this house. Wow, I love my car. Even though it's a clunker, I can still get somewhere. It changes everything changes the more we spend time with him and when we pursue him for who he is and not what he gives we will be blown away by how much he truly has gifted us is your prayer life asking for things to be given to you or is your prayer life thanking God for everything he's already done it's a good question you should ponder it see when I wrote my first book I was so focused on the fact that it didn't sell. But after I walked, when I got out of this dissatisfaction and this depression, I was able to thank God that I can even write anything. God, thank you that I can write. Thank you that I'm passionate about writing. Even if nobody reads what I write, it was great for me. And that's how we need to live our lives. The fact that I could do anything was enough for me. And let me share something else with you. When it comes to this idea of gifts and the giver, and when we look at what we have and what we don't have, and we focus on what we do have, there will be this temptation that the enemy loves to bring to us. And it's one word, comparison. We will look at other people and compare. Well, that person is not as good as I am. Why do they have more? Why, why do they have a better car, a better job? I'm way better than them. We have this attitude of comparison. Teddy Roosevelt, one of our great presidents, he said this, comparison is the thief of joy. I've, I've used that quote quite a, lot, uh, quite a lot in our church because it's something that's so vitally important for my own life. When I read that quote, I was like, ooh, doggy, I needed that because I compare all the time. You know, the number one reason why Generation Z is depressed and has negative mental health today is because they have access to social media that creates a comparison every single day. Every single day. 
They're inundated with people who have better cars or better clothes or better makeup or whatever it is. They're inundated with all of these pictures, images, words, and they're like, oh, my life is terrible. Why can't I be like that? It's comparison. It's literally killing our children. We need to be examples of walking in true joy, breaking the cycle of comparison, and being grateful for what we have. It changes everything. Now, I want to move to the second point of satisfaction in a dissatisfying world, and that is this issue of boasting. Paul goes on to say, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? He reminds them that everything is a gift, and then he asks them, why do you boast in what you have? It's all been given to you. Why do you walk in boasting? And it's because for them and us, boasting betrays our insecurity. The Corinthians were walking insecure. They weren't sure as to who they were. They weren't sure as to who they should follow. They weren't sure as to which gift was better. And so they walked in insecurity as they compared themselves with one another. And they were like, well, we're better. Ha, ha, ha. I'm better. Watch the sneeches again. They, they were dissatisfied with their life. They struggled to understand their true identity. And it betrayed their insecurity. The only reason people boast is because they're insecure. That's it. If you see, you know, like a famous athlete or a famous person saying, oh, I'm so great, you should just pat me on the back, give me my medal now, they are so insecure. It's not funny. When you boast and I boast, it's because we're insecure. We, we have two reasons for why we boast. And that's A, we, we perceive ourselves to be this way. We have this perception of awesomeness. Or what we want is for others to see us as to what we're portraying. Usually it's the latter, because we don't often feel that we are who we say we are. But sometimes we can be in this place where we just continue to boast about ourselves so much that we might believe the lies that we're untouchable or that we're great, and we don't recognize our own fallibilities. We're insecure, however. We're unsatisfied with who we are. This this leads to this idea that man's opinion of us is more important than God's. Because if we have to continually boast, if we have to continually try to lift ourselves up and we don't know our identity beyond what we do or how great we are, we do not understand the grace of God. We do not fully grasp that our identity is identified by God. The only identifier that a Christian should have is that I am a child of God. That's it. We don't need any other identifiers. The world likes to say, identify this, identify that, identify this, identify that. All the identity we need is in Jesus Christ. That's it. Done. Signed, sealed, delivered. We can walk as children of God, loved by God, cared for by God, given the grace from God. Boasting reveals insecurity. Many times we're declaring Him and the things that we have as had nothing to do with it. When we boast, it's all about ourselves. But Paul says this earlier in this passage. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is God who deserves the glory, not ourselves. Whoa. We can boast. 
but not in ourselves. We lift up what God has done because we are to give glory to the giver for the great gifts he has given. If someone's like, whoa, you got a really sweet ride, man. You can say, you know, God has blessed me with the ability to do the work that I do. And I've been blessed with finances. Somehow, for some reason, God is good. You know, that's boasting in the goodness of the Lord. Everything you have is a gift. Every single thing you have is a gift. And when he gets the glory, we can remain satisfied with life because it's not on us, it's on him. And he never fails. He never fails, amen? I want to challenge you to see everything in your life as a gift. See the tangible grace of God. Stop focusing on the things that you don't have and start focusing on the things that God has given. And I guarantee with 100% certainty that it will change your perspective on life. Seeing all as a gift. Boasting in the Lord and not yourself. While the worship team is, is coming up and they begin to play I want to challenge you to just pause for a moment. If you need to stay seated or you need to come up to the front to think ab about these things, please do this. Because God wants to change your perspective on life. If you've been grumpy, if you've been dissatisfied, if you've been disappointed, begin to shift your focus now. Ask the Spirit of God to give you the ability to see His grace tangibly and everything as a gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the great giver. That anything and everything we have in life is because of your grace. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will give us the eyes to see everything as a gift. In your name, amen.